0: Welcome back to Refuge Radio. I'm Gaines Taylor, he, him.
1: I am Brendan Bell, also he, him.
2: And I'm Piper Jones, they, them.
1: Piper Jones
0: has joined our team after the QCF (laughs) conference. So, yes. What a
2: fun experience that was. Uh, I I just want to interject and say, hi, thank you for letting me be a a part of this awesome little space that you're creating. When uh, we first got connected at QCF, I've been listening to Refuge for months now, I want to say October, uh, and so when I saw you guys were doing a panel at the conference, I was very excited to like tune in and listen to it. Uh, I had no idea that you guys were looking for a uh, like TikTok assistant, sort of whatever, until my buddy Jess Grace Garcia was like, oh yeah, Piper would be perfect for this, and I was like, what? Hello? <laughs> so I am uh, very honored to be here and be a part of things. Just getting to know you guys since January has been a delight. So
0: Yeah, definitely. And it was great. And and we were excited to have you reach out because we, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Like we were definitely looking, but we were not like, we want to be care, you know, we wanted to be like careful. We're like, we don't want any person. We we want to make sure this is the right person. And like, so when you interviewed with us and just brought all these notes and we're like, here's what I can do, this, this, and this, and more than we even thought, we're like, Piper is the right person, and they're on board. And uh, Jess Garcia, who is one of the co-hosts of Lavender Mafia, shout out to them and Um, a good
2: friend of mine. They're a delight.
0: Yeah, and they just like unsolicited reached out to me and were like, "Yes, you want them part of your team?" And so, like, I'm like, "That's good enough for me." (laughs) All that. So, yeah.
2: Well, and just a little like background info on me. Um, So I've been in and out of various forms of ministry since like 2014 and part of my like church experience I came out of a very like branded non-denominational but it leans very assembly of God like a mega church up here in Minneapolis which is where I'm from and part of my experience was working alongside their AV department and also in they they had what was called disciple internship which is now defunct But I graduated from that two-year program with a specialty in TV and media. So I helped, like, do all the audio recording for the the DI classes themselves. I did a lot of volunteering at their different satellite campuses doing, like, screens and, like, their podcast recording and editing sort of stuff. So I'm like, I had my fingers in a lot of relevant pies for the work I'm going to be doing with Refuge. And so I'm like, as challenging as that season was, and I'm glad to be out of it, it uh, definitely helped gear me up. If we're trying to find bright sides. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I think there's like always silver lining to everything. So yeah. it's
2: like yeah. I've yeah. been through things, but, uh, again, it's, it's kind of shaped my experience and again, equipped me to be doing what I'm doing now, which I'm excited for. So.
0: Yeah, and before we jump into like more of this, I do want to say like something that you've helped put together, that we've been trying to do for a while is finally launch the Discord uh community yeah. Discord channel. So like uh and Piper really assembled all of that. And which <laughs> so when uh we really want you to join that uh listeners out there and uh like it's it's a great place. It's a lot of fun. It's growing. It's young, but it's growing, and yeah. like we're excited and having like some fun discussions and talk and trying to get even a D and game going through that. <laughs> so, I'm so excited for that, man. Yeah.
2: Well, and yeah. when I I found you guys, like you had the the Refuge Radio podcast or whatever, but all of your socials were branded as Refuge Faith Community, and I wanted to make sure that we were very intentional about that community word uh as a thing uh, not that you guys weren't doing a good job with what you had but like just kind of building a space for people to come together and share ideas and it's been very fun to see like just kind of in the the various channels we have on the discord people asking each other hey can you pray for me about this i need support with this what do you guys think about this theological concept and just the conversations that have sprung out of that are so neat
1: yeah absolutely well, we're so excited to have you as part of the team. Not only do you bring all these skills, but you're just a wonderful human.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I
2: appreciate that.
1: So welcome. Thank you so much for joining the team. And thank you for being a part of this podcast where we are going to hear a little bit about your life and your story. Yeah. Maybe let's start with where did you start with religion? What was kind of... The birthplace of that in your life, that piece of your
2: life. So um, for as long as I can remember, my family has been involved in church. I was baptized in a Lutheran church out in small town, Minnesota. But shortly thereafter, uh, we moved from one small town to another smaller town and moved from the church we had been attending to an even smaller church. I grew up in an evangelical congregation that was about 75 people that met in, like, this old uh, town hall situation. It, a very nice. small, very old building. Again, it was branded evangelical. I have no idea what the, like, actual material presented was classed in terms of doctrine because it was a little bit of everyone throwing their theology into the soup sort of situation. Our pastor, who had been in charge of the congregation since, like, the 80s, uh, had a very fundamentalist, like, Methodist lean to him and was later replaced by someone who came out of, like, the, the Baptist denomination. At, at one point, one of the, like, uh, parents of someone I grew up with it was like, oh, well, th- my kid needs to be confirmed. And so they slapped together a confirmation class. And I, the only thing I remember out of that is learning the Apostles' Creed and, like, the story of the demons getting cast into pigs because we put together like this puppet show to present it to the younger kids. It was very weird.
0: <laughs> but, That's delightful. So,
2: again, it was just a, a whole mess of theological soup, basically, uh, with a very uh, straighten up and fly right or you're going to hell sort of bent to it, which yeah. was interesting because this was what was coming out of the pulpits on Sunday morning, but Sunday evening we had King's Kids Club Uh, which was just, hi, how do we keep kids busy on a weekend evening? And it was a rotation of, like, VeggieTales curriculum and Chatter the Chipmunk VBS courses that had been collected from over the years. And that all was very much a God made you special and he loves you very much sort of idea, but, again, couched in these older generation trying to, like, keep us under control, basically. Yeah. I... I have this distinct memory from King's Kids where uh, we had some sort of cassette tape going and the, the lyrics were on the overhead projection just shown on the wall. And it, it was a more upbeat song. A friend of mine and I were just dancing along to the music grooving. Uh, and the little old crone who was running it uh, was, what do you think you're doing? I lived off. We're having fun. You should try it sometime. And I got kicked out of King's Kids, and that's where I stopped going to church for quite some time. I was probably eleven. Uh, but so, so that was my experience growing up. With church was a very much like you have to behave a certain way, and if you don't fit into our expectation, uh, you don't need to be here. And I'm like, that's one way to raise kids up in the love of God, right? So I didn't really. Wasn't really invested in a relationship with God for most of my teens. Uh, Before I had been kicked out of King's Kids, I went to a church camp when I was like 11 or 12 and made a couple friends there. And then when I was 15 or 16, they were like, we haven't seen you at camp in a while. We miss you. Why don't you come back to camp? And so my sister and I went. And that was where I met my partner, uh, who has been stuck with me since 2009 uh, and has seen just me grow and evolve as a person in those Gosh, oh my gosh, it's almost 13 years since then. That's absolutely wild. So the, the camp was put on by the evangelical uh, conference that my church was a part of. And I don't remember a whole lot from that camp, aside from meeting Hot Boy, which, you know, fair. But it was one of those where, like, because I got connected with him, I uh, got connected to the, the church that I had been, the, the mega church up here in Minneapolis. And that had a much more, like, Modern message of, like, the gospel of grace and uh, unconditional love. And no matter who you are or what you've done, you are not too far to be in God's hands, you know? And so that was a completely different ballpark from what I had grown up seeing in the church. So I didn't really have a solid, like, understanding or relationship with God until 2013. 2013. I think, was when I started to pursue that for myself and kind of explore, okay, what does this actually look like if uh, if this is what they say it is, you know?
1: So what I'm hearing from your story, Piper, is that growing up, religion was not necessarily a positive experience for you. It felt like a place that you didn't really fit into.
2: No, uh, it, it very much was... It felt like something we did for the tradition of doing it. Like uh, my parents were both pretty plugged in. My dad ran the the avian sound booth at our tiny church and my mom occasionally led the worship. But uh, again, it felt more like an obligation than like a a personal connection sort of thing. Uh, There was a season in which my dad was uh, attempting to go to seminary or whatever. But with the, the cost of keeping a family of four afloat, it was, uh, or with four kids, uh, hard to balance both work and the, the seminary sort of situation, right. especially when we were on the complete opposite side of the state from the school he was trying to attend. So I can't speak to, like, what either of my parents' relationships with God is like. They're not, like, super devout, but I know that they have faith of their own, you know? Um, and coming out of it, uh, Two of my siblings are now atheist and I don't know where the third really stands. And then I'm <laughs> one of my friends uh once described me as like annoyingly churchy because uh, I do find as rough as that like adolescent experience in church was knowing God for myself or learning who God is for myself since 2014 on it's it is very much that idea of like there is a creator who loves me and crafted me to be exactly who I am and there's like i don't know a, a security in that that I've found uh that honestly has helped me through a whole lot of shit. Oh, can I swear on this podcast?
0: Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's uh one of those things where I know that my faith has helped me through a lot of things, but I also try not to be a, a preachy dick about it. <laughs> But sometimes it just happens.
0: Yeah. So the rule is with swearing, apparently, according to my mom, I just can't call Paul, the Apostle Paul a dick. That's the only (laughs) rule that I've gotten feedback.
2: I'm sorry, Mrs. Gaines' mama, but he can't. Yeah. Yeah. So so growing up, it was more of an obligation. And as I've uh, grown into the person I am now, it, it is more of a meaningful thing to me. I find that my spiritual practice doesn't really look like a traditional spiritual practice by any sense of the word. Like, I still am unchurched as much as my in-laws hate it. But it's, like, just because I'm not going to a service every Sunday doesn't mean I'm any less, like, connected to God or, like, pursuing a religious relationship. It just uh, is my own thing, you know? Yeah. Well, that was uh, actually something I kind of wanted to splash back on you guys. Where are you guys at in terms of what does your spiritual practice look like or your relationship with God at this point? That was kind of a, a criticism my dad had was like, so I was listening to the show and you guys talk a lot about like what you don't believe anymore. But what do you currently believe? If I can like throw that back at you.
0: No, absolutely. I think that's um, definitely fair. Yeah, I think consider myself more like I definitely consider myself a Christian still um Mm -hmm. and like I kind of take I feel like I'm skirting around the answer here (laughs) and I'm not (laughs) trying to but it's the way like I think in the book of John when like a lot of the like outer circle disciples are leaving and Jesus is like to the 12 like are you leaving too? And Peter's like, where else am I gonna go? That's where I feel like sometimes. Yeah. Like, yeah. So even though I have like a lot of frustration with the church and like where with this podcast, there like there is criticism, but I don't know where else I would necessarily go without my faith. And so yeah. I I think it's right now a very I know the like buzzword right now is deconstructed. And like, I I don't know, you know, there's so much there. And I I think mine is very just base level kind of Christian mysticism a bit like very. And what I mean by that is very experiential with God. Um, yeah. I I don't really care about what like the tent of a verb in Greek means. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I care more about like loving people that that's kind of a quick answer of where i'm at
2: yeah well and uh, just a hi i am probably the, the the worst person about like finding labels for what i believe or like who i am as a person <laughs> i like to say that i kind of live in the, the gray area and embody like ambiguity as a whole hi i am a uh, non-binary i'm bisexual question mark uh Again, it's like I don't want to stick to one side or the other of anything. I, I just want to be me without having to slap a definition on things. Uh, yeah. I feel like it, for a lot of it, too, is like I don't know the language for where I'm at these days. Because, I, again, I came out of that very mega churchy, like, this is the, our definition of what we believe in anything outside of that. Like, don't don't even worry about it. And I'm like, well, okay, now I'm worried about it because I'm, I'm trying to figure out what is the language for where I'm at? Because, again, I I find that my beliefs practice are very, like, experiential of the love of God. It's not like... I, <laughs> despite doing a, a two-year internship that was supposed to land me with a theology degree at the end of it, I don't know, like, various catechisms or doctrines or whatever. Like, no. I don't know how Lutheranism is different from evangelicalism, is different from Catholicism, is different from... I just know that I love God and God loves me. So... <laughs>
0: yes amen
1: to that
2: so yeah but what about you brendan where are you at if you have to try to put words to it (laughs) (laughs) right
1: um i that is a very that's very complicated so i have been is the a book i'm gonna give a book a shout out in this explanation i've been reading i will probably read it um you may have already read it it's called faith after doubt by brian mclaren So basically, he kind of takes this model, which is based on a lot of different models um, that different people and different disciplines have used to kind of explain the faith journey of a human being. Mm -hmm. And he breaks it down into four stages, where the first two stages, which I am not going to try to explain (laughs) on this podcast right now, because I... We'll butcher them. Just so find the book and I read it apologize. if you want to know.
2: Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brian McLaren explains it way better than I could anyway. But basically his whole thing is most churches um, in America and, you know, but mostly in America because that's his context, are in these first two stages of faith. And they make an enemy often of people in stage three, which stage three is basically deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Which is where we are like, wait a second, there's nuance. yeah, where there's there's a beginning of nuance in stage two, but in stage two, it's like it's based in pragmatism. It's so it's kind of moving beyond a simple black white binary, which is mm-hmm. very much stage one. And here I am explaining stage one and stage two anyway, yes. but you know, say love me. Um where stage three is very much like our whole system is, what like it's basically questioning the systems and then questioning the questioning of the systems. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Definitely. And there's a lot of anger there. There's a lot of bitterness there. Yeah. I feel, I feel like for me that is where I am at. Like I am just very much in the stage three of my faith Hmm. where it's like, I still identify as a Christian. I believe there are things, there are a lot of things I don't know. There's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of like what is real, what is not real, what is helpful, what is not helpful. And I don't really know. The one thing I know for sure is that the vision of this kingdom of God or this kingdom of heaven. I believe in that, like, I believe that if we created a world where the first are last and the last are mm-hmm. first, and we truly like give every single person their dignity and respect, and we truly seek to love one another as we love ourselves, like this world would literally be paradise, like on earth. Like it yeah. would be, yeah. I, I think what Jesus said is right. Like I, I agree. Like yeah. I just, whenever I like take a step away from, you know, believing, I don't know if I believe hell is real or I don't know if like, blah, blah, blah whatever. It's just for me, I just keep coming back to what I perceive as the central message of the gospel. Yeah. And that I believe, like I bought into that like hook, line and sinker and I still buy into that. Yeah. And even if I don't, I don't like, I, I, like if you, if you go through my beliefs and if I was like very honest about everything that I believe, I would, people would not consider me a Christian. Most, Hmm. most Christians would say, you are not a Christian. You are an agnostic, or maybe even you are an atheist, but it's (laughs) like, I don't feel like that's true. Like, that's not how I feel. Like, I still feel like. I believe in the message of Jesus. I still, f- and I think there's just like a stubbornness in me too, to be <laughs> like, I have a place at this table of Christianity, whether you want me to be here or not. Yeah. Um, oh gosh. Because absolutely, I, I love, like I, there's obviously like, I'm angry at the church, but it's because I love the church. Yeah. It was such a meaningful place for me. And there is so much meaning to be had in religious and spiritual spaces. And I think, and now as a social worker, one of the my biggest frustrations with, and I'm going to say Christianity specifically, because that's my context, is the resources you get from a healthy religion and spirituality, in terms of mental and physical health are huge, huge. And those resources are being deprived to so many people because of all of these weird gatekeepy things that make no sense and that, that are honestly the inverse of what, in my opinion, Jesus was trying to, the point Jesus was trying to make in the first place. Yeah. But anyway, so that's, I guess I am feeling more positive lately because I've been reading this book and I feel like that is such a, it makes me feel like I'm still a person of faith even if i question everything. Yeah. Because it's just another stage on the faith journey and that is has given me a lot of hope and is making me feel more comfortable like reminding yeah. myself that i'm a person of faith. One th- one last thing and i'll i'll stop talking after this. No, i'm like oh. i'm over here like you better preach man, come on. <laughs> yeah. Brian McLaren wrote about faith. He's like, there's a difference between belief and faith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's like, belief is X. Like, this is a thing I believe. I believe the sky is blue or whatever. And actually he literally used that analogy and he's like, certainty. And a lot of what religious traditions do, if the sky is blue, that we're going to paint our windows blue to remind, to like prove that the sky is blue. Yeah. And there's no argument, end of story. And he's like, faith, and he quoted someone, it was a beautiful quote, and I don't remember who he was quoting. Basically, they were like, faith is just an openness to the truth, whatever it is. Mm. And being a person of faith is basically just like a humble recognition and acceptance of reality in a lot of ways and just going towards the truth, wherever it presents itself. Yeah. And that resonated so deeply with me, because I'm like, that is like, who I feel I am, and who I want to be. Um, So it, it really helped me feel like, yes, like, I am a person of faith. I am someone who, who values these things. And it's a journey. And you know what, right now, there's a lot of frustration at oh, I feel that. institutions. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and that's, that's been uh, one of my biggest things too. I left the church that I had been going to for God, six or seven years um, right before the pandemic. Like I want to say December of uh, 2019 was like when I was like, no, nah, okay, I got to get out of here. But because I was on staff, I didn't leave my job there until like right before the pandemic hit. So I've been dealing with, Kind of a lot of, again, bitterness and anger Towards the church as an institution But not necessarily towards God at all It's very much a... I've been inhabiting kind of that Exvangelical deconstruction space on Twitter And in one of those many different discussions That came out of John Cooper declaring war on deconstructionism uh, The the thing I had to say was... um, Deconstruction isn't about the the hate and the bitterness. It's about tearing down the, the walls that have kept us from seeing God for who God is and from seeing, like, the, the heart of what the institution has hidden from us, basically. I, I think a lot... I, again, I was in a theology uh, internship. That idea of needing a, a priest in order to pass through the veil and stand at the foot of God, like, when... <laughs> The resurrection happened. The veil was torn. There is no longer any separation keeping us from experiencing God for ourselves. And I just think that's a beautiful thing, because despite, again, I could detail my list of grievances, but it's uh, at the heart of it. Nothing can shake me from what I believe to be true. And it's something that's been scrawled in my Bible. Like, my dad was like, this is our verse, and scribbles it in the the NIV he gave me when... uh I was going through this weird, not-quite-confirmation at our uh, church, but it's First uh, Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore my brothers stand firm, let nothing move you for everything you do, or whatever. Nothing is in vain if you're doing it for the love of God. And it's something that stuck with me, even if I can't remember the exact wording of the translation. It's that heart of, like, now I'm stubborn because I know, like, how I see things, and I know... When, like, religious whatever comes against what God has sown in my heart, you know? It's, uh, an interesting thing. Because, again, we all have our own experience and understanding of the divine. Gaines is different from Brendan's, is different from mine, is different from whoever's listening to this. It's, like, I like to think of it... (laughs) We were talking a little bit about Star Trek before we started recording. But, uh... In, like, the, the Vulcan philosophy, there is this uh, idea of infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Like, I, I've been wanting to kind of pop off about this weird theological take I have, that, yeah, all of us are made in the image of God, and that's why humankind is so diverse, and that's why all of us have our own experiences and understandings, is because God is too big and complex to fit into a single cookie cutter. But at the same time... Taking the, the aggregate of humanity and looking at someone who's currently going through the, the conflict in Ukraine, someone who's living in Florida in the, like, don't say gay era, it's figuring out who they are. Like, is all of their experiences are completely different from mine, but that doesn't make it any less human. I was having a conversation with my in-laws the other day. Because, again, we, we are currently out of church, but we somehow got on the, the religious thing. And I think it's because I feel like I have to prove, hey, no, I still believe in God. Here we are. I know that you're still plugged into the church I left and hate. But, like, I promise I'm still here. The idea of, like, I think of the divine a lot, like a, a diamond. And you know how it's cut with all the different facets. And if you look at it at a certain angle, the light comes in and shoots out of it at a a, a different way, like, no matter how you turn it, it's still going to sparkle, but it sparkles in a different way. Uh, You are looking at the diamond at a different angle than I am looking at the diamond, and, like, it's still the same thing whether you are perceiving it through a deconstructed lens, through an evangelical lens, through a Muslim lens. It's still, like, this is the same divine at work in the world around us, whether you're describing it this way or this way. It's, again, a matter of your perception. And, uh even if you try to explain forever what your view is, someone's not going to understand it the same way you do because we have different contexts and because we have different lived experiences. And I think that's really cool because it's again, part of the way we are able to connect with people Gaines, You have a a way of talking to people and an experience that resonates with people different than I do different than Brendan does. Uh, And there's, there's people I will reach through what I'm doing that you would never be able to talk to in a million years. And it's not because we are like taking a different approach or anything. It's just because people are going to resonate with things they can relate to and experiences that are familiar to them, mm-hmm. if that yep. makes sense. No, so.
0: absolutely. Yeah, I know. I think that diamond analogy is beautiful.
2: Well, and I think a lot about as someone who is under the transgender umbrella. I like to refer to it as somewhere under the rainbow because it's like, I I wouldn't call myself like, again, labels are a weird thing because, again, born as a woman, I was raised up and cultivated in kind of that space. And there's lots of expectations that are put on you because of your gender. But again, I'm I'm sure (laughs) y'all were talking about wild at heart and how that like, shaped y'all to be manly men or whatever, and, like, the idea of just kind of the expectations that are put on us just because of the genitals we're born with is absolutely wild to me. But for a lot of my experience in the church, there's a very particular way of being a woman that I've never felt like I fit into. Again, I'm... (laughs) I like to think of myself as kind of a grubby little 12-year-old gamer boy. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is a weird way to describe myself, but it's like that's always kind of the the vibe I've had, even bef- years before I knew I was trans. I uh, came to find the the label gender nonconforming in like twenty eighteen, and it's like when I heard it, I'm like, oh my god, that is my experience to a T. That is like exactly why I've always felt at conflict with myself is because this is the the framework that I'm supposed to fit like you got to be demure and gentle and, like, you know, let me think, the, the mean girl's stereotypical, here's your your plastic of what a, a girl is supposed to look like. Never me. Uh, I think I shaved my head for the first time when I was 12, and my hairdresser grandma was just absolutely mortified that I would do such a thing. Uh, but it was one of those where, like, oh, people are going to think you're a boy. And I'm like, what's wrong with that? Like, if I'm just out here living as like me it shouldn't matter like oh you have short hair therefore you're a boy and need to be bullied for it
1: when did you first begin to understand that the ex the gender expectations were not for you
2: it's kind of been something i've experienced through my entire life i finally found the language for gender nonconforming in like 2018 and i'm like oh my god that's what i've experienced through my entire life cuz i've always been a little bit of a tomboy um and it's like trying to fit a mold of like no this is what girls are supposed to be into this is like the proverbs 31 woman or whatever like <laughs> when i was at my mega church uh, i'm like there is a very specific like cookie cutter for this is suburban white Christian girl. And they're very fashionable and they're very like, Oh, we have this flourish women's ministry just for you. And I'm like, I never felt at home in that situation because I'm a very stubborn person, a very like independent. I'm, I can do like, I I find myself to be a lot more capable than people think I am because I'm five, six, a hundred pounds and like, look like a greasy 12 year old gamer boy. But it's uh. I've always thought it's very dumb that like the the women are expected to like here p- put the the drinks and stuff out while all the boys stack the chairs and I'm like I uh, am capable of carrying more chairs than any of these bastards. Let's get to it. Let me get to work. Let me like help and like be hands on in a lot of the things I want to do. And it was very much a, a sit still look pretty situation. Uh, and I'm I'm not built for that. I am like let's go. Let's get it. Very mission driven. <laughs> Which uh, did did wonders for me when I was part of, like, the, the, here's this hands-on ministry experience, let's get to it. That church plant, let's tear down set up situation. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm like, yeah, l- let me help build the stage. I-, I will move all of these by myself. But it's, like, trying to fit into boxes has never been my strong suit. And so when I found that there was, like, oh, yeah, no, you don't have to be A or B. You don't have to, like be th- this is the the poster card of woman this is like what a man is it's like I tick boxes on both ends of that spectrum and at the same time don't really feel like either of those is 100% me and so while I fall under that rainbow umbrella of transgender somewhere it's again non-binary is the more broad term gender non-conforming is like the specific label I prefer because I'm just like I don't care whether you perceive me as male or female like you can use any pronouns for me any like terminology for me as long as it's not demeaning like I I hate the oh honey sort of situation like oh yeah you you are small and I will make you feel small for it sort of yeah no (laughs) so in a ministry context it's been an interesting thing to deal with because it's again like depending on whether you're in an egalitarian context or, like, a a complementary... Hi, let me define terms, because when I first encountered egalitarian as a term, I was like, what does that even mean? Do you believe women should be in positions of leadership, or is that just for the men sort of thing? Um, Depending on your denominational context and how you read it, uh, there's... things fall all along the lines. But trying to figure out how to navigate that split as someone who doesn't fit in either of those boxes. It's like, can I be in leadership or not? Like, if I'm in a context that tries to limit me, I'm like, this isn't a good fit. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. But I have found in just being the me I am, once I, like, decided I'm not going to try to fit these boxes anymore, I found I reached people differently than I did when I was trying to be (laughs) more feminine, more... I feel like this is kind of a common experience for trans folk in general is kind of the hard lean into whatever your assigned gender at birth is before you realize, oh, wait, no, I am, in fact, trans. There was a season in which I was very like, okay, I'm going to be very intentional about the makeup and like trying to fit this like (laughs) suburban white Christian woman mold. Uh, And so there's pictures of, like, 2015, 2016 Pip where I look vaguely like Taylor Swift, including my wedding photos, which is a trip to look back at now. But I decided at one point, like, when I found the gender nonconforming label for myself, I'm just like, oh, cool. I'm just going to be me and wear my hair however I want. And I've had this shaved, undercut, whatever, since about then. But it's not a very, like... Subtle, like, oh, that that's someone who's trying to, to pass as their assigned gender or whatever. Uh, very loudly myself, as it were. And I, I thought I was, like, being quiet about, like, hi, I am queer, but still in this mega church context. Until, I think, 2019, I was a, a camp counselor for the, the church's youth camp. And me, shaved sides, purple swoopy hair... Uh, attracted the gaggle of all of the closeted, like, queer kids at that camp. And it's not like I was like, if you're gay, I am your person. You are safe with me. It was very much a, like, they saw me, and they were like, that's a safe person. That person saw that I have a they-them pronouns pin, and and they respected that, and they didn't just call me by my dead name that's on the name tag. So I had, like, this little cluster of kids. Because of being just myself... They were like, okay, I can trust this person, and I help them deal with a lot of the more like homophobic bullshit that was going on in that church camp. And I'm like, if I can be a safe person for kids who are kind of trapped in that context by circumstance, and I can show them, hey, God loves you just as you are because of who you are, not in spite of it, which I feel like that's a lot of the messaging is like, oh, we love the sinner, but we hate the sin. I'm like, then you're not loving them if you're classing their very being as sin. Like,
0: yeah,
2: it's uh, something that I'm trying to like be an example of just by like loving myself for myself to show kids that, hey, it doesn't matter if you are transitioning or if you love someone who happens to have the same parts as you. Like, who cares? You are exactly who you were made to be and God loves you exactly as you are.
1: I'm I'm wondering Piper if you could tell us a little bit more about um so it sounds like between the year 2014 and 2019 we went on a journey of self-discovery and all of it was done in the confines of this mega church.
2: Yeah, as I've uh I was telling Jess my story when we first got connected to a lot of my growth as a person of faith, and a lot of my growth in discovering my queer identity was done very much at tandem, in tandem, and like at odds at a lot of times, it felt. Because again, I think I first like figured out that I was attracted to girls as much as I was attracted to boys when I was like 13. And like, then navigating kind of that small town context of gay is pretty much the worst thing you can be. Let's just throw it around like a slur. It really kind of conditioned me to like, no, you, you can't even acknowledge that thing. In high school, I like pe- people had me flagged before I had myself figured out because there was lots of bullying. Just in my Facebook memories this past week was like me venting about how uh, there was a rumor going around that I was sleeping with my best friend who was also a girl. And it was like at the time I was dating my now husband and it was like, how is this even a thing in people's minds? Cause I'm like, we're just friends. This is only friendship. How are you reading this as anything but that? Uh, but it was one of those things where I had the biggest crush on my best friend and I didn't have the language for it because it's like, I can't acknowledge that this is even a possibility yeah. sort of situation. So it was a lot of that, um, Also, again, being someone who doesn't care what I'm doing with my hair, I often wore it very short and would be bullied for looking like a boy and as previously addressed. But again, it wasn't anything I felt like I could acknowledge at that stage. So when I went off to college is when I officially started going by Piper uh, instead of my dead name. And even just that little step just kind of started pushing those buttons in terms of Exploring my, like, gender identity, sexuality So I think I officially came out as bisexual in 2013 And it was actually kind of at the same time that I found God For myself I was very much dealing with the Okay, who who even am I right now? And in this kind of depressive pit is where God found me And it was one of those, like I felt like I had no worth I felt like I was unlovable, but like At the same time, I was hearing all of this, like, God loves you very much. And so do we from my in-laws or now in-laws. And it was kind of at that bottom of that pit that I was like, okay, well, I have nothing else going for me. Let's pursue this God thing. And then from there, like, found peace about dropping out of school because I was struggling in school. I I think I talked about that on TikTok in response to one of our TikToks. So if you want that, I go into more detail over there. So then dropped out of school, moved up to Minneapolis, which is where I got plugged into this church. And at the time, it had this very, like, again, that, that message of grace, unconditional love in this youth ministry, which was, again, different messaging in this young adult ministry than we were hearing from the main pulpit, which is... Yeah. Yeah. I, I could, One of the many grievances I have with that place, but I'm trying not to be a bitter Betty about it. <laughs> the So in... 2014 I moved up to Minneapolis and was so gung-ho about like this version of Christianity this idea of like I can just be me and God loves me exactly as I am I started volunteering at the young adult services uh, which was I think two services a week we had a young adult Bible study and then like a full-blown service and I was doing a B for both of them and I did I volunteered in that aspect for three years uh, until they shut down the um the young adult bespoke ministry because it wasn't making them any money. but then, like four months later the the pastor who had been running it was put in charge of one of the satellite campuses. and so i was I was put in charge of that from having served with the young adult ministry for so long the the, the a b side of the the church plant. Uh, at the same time, I started going to this disciple internship. It was a two- year program. I started in twenty seventeen and graduated in 2019 That was probably the most, like, okay, I'm going to steamroll this and, like, learn everything there is to learn. I'm going to do the 40-hour-a-week internship. I'm going to work 40 hours at the coffee shop on top of it, and then I'm going to be doing my volunteer stuff. It was, like, I pretty much lived in that building for two years, uh, (laughs) which was an interesting thing. Because it was, like, when I joined the internship, there was, uh, like, a questionnaire that was, like, (laughs) a lot of it I got... uh, by by just kind of the, the wording of the question. It was like, have you ever struggled with uh, attraction to someone of your same sex? And I'm like, or, or do you struggle with attraction to someone of the same sex? And I was like, I mean, I used to, but I don't anymore. I'm like completely content in knowing that I am bisexual, but at the same time, I'm in a co- committed relationship to my partner. So uh, no, I do not struggle with this. Have you ever been in a relationship with anyone of the same sex? No, because I was not, like, at a place to acknowledge that my crushes could have been something more than that, you know? And I was like, do you, uh, have you ever, like, do do you struggle with your gender identity? And that wasn't even a can of worms that I had cracked at that point. I'm like, no. And then it wasn't until my second year of the internship that I was like, oh, wait, here we are. (laughs) So it was a lot of, oh, clever wording, I guess. No, this is fine. I'm just gonna hide this corner of myself from the leadership so I can actually like pursue God unhindered which is so dumb looking back at it now because it's like I shouldn't have to worry about me as a person getting in the way of that you know at the same time exploring both of these avenues of myself as a person and kind of coming to conclusions alongside each other and I don't think I would have been able to grow the way I did if I had completed one step of that journey before the other, if that makes sense. It's yeah. one of those things where I had to learn the things I learned about myself when I learned them, because otherwise one branch would have choked out the other, I feel like. At the same time, I've, I've always been a very outspoken and opinionated person about <laughs> shit. Like, I've known who I am, but even if that was, like, behind a screen, I was still very much... the the person on campus who would advocate for lgbt rights and all that we in the internship there was this game we played called jump ball where it would like put a controversial take up on the board and you had to take a stand at either end and then explain your reasoning and so there was once about uh the the women in leadership issue there was uh like do you think people who are divorced are like still cool that sort of like but do you think that uh same-sex unions should be blessed by the church, and I was, like, the only person who was, like, or sh- should uh pastors be accept- expected to perform same-sex unions, I think was the wording of the question, and I was the only one who was over here, like, yeah, I mean, if the pastor doesn't have, like, an actual objectionable reason to say no to this union, I, I feel like God would bless it, like he blessed the centurion and his partner. It's like... One of those things where it's not our place to say who's able to... Like, in in the religious context, if there's a separation of church and state, the church shouldn't be over here like, no, they can't get married because we don't like it. It's like, this is between them and the state and between them and God. You shouldn't have any say over it at all. And same with, like, the, the issue of people transitioning. It's like, if that person knows who they are and they know, like... Hey, these are the risks that come with gender-affirming medical procedures, and they still want to move with that? That's between them and their doctors, and between them and, like, if they believe in God, between them and God. It's not something that you over here in your camp where it doesn't affect any part of your life should be able to say, I don't like that! It's icky! Like, get that away from me! Like, you know... yeah yeah it's like absolutely i'm very much uh in camp freedom do what you want it's (laughs) your body your choice as it were uh or your life your choice like
0: yeah i was just i was just talking to someone the other day and we're it's like they they wanted my feedback on something and it was it was just an article about a a, a non-affirming statement on like if your friend just came out to you what would you say to them and it was a conservative and, and it's like they it's just like exodus International type uh, language and it's just like why for being like against uh the queer community like conservatives go to the bedroom very quickly <laughs> when thinking through like yeah it's like it was all about eroticism and yeah. it's like yeah, and it just blows my mind. Like, they're so like responding to this individual, I'm like, no, like, this is just ridiculous on so many levels. It's like, that's all they think about as soon as they go to. Well,
2: and I'm just over here, like, do what you want. I'm not your dad. Like, if,
0: yeah, yeah,
2: there was a very, I don't want to name drop, but at the same time, I'm like, this dude's an ass and needs to just be like knocked down a peg. When, marriage equality was passed here in Minnesota. Uh, I think it was Pride Weekend, uh, which is always like end of June over here, I, I think usually the 25th, 26th. And as part of that, uh, same-sex marriage was legalized here in Minnesota. And that same weekend, and it oh, it's always fucking Pride Weekend when they have this very homophobic guest speaker come in and speak at this mega church, always, always talking about marriage, always. But uh, I remember it, it was... Think 2015 or 2016 was when this was legalized. But this uh, Sunday morning service, we're in worship. The young adults all sit together in one little area. And I always sat next to a friend um, who identified as pansexual and was very new to the, to the faith. Uh, had just like started coming to our young adult service and was like very enthralled by the, the idea of okay, I am safe here because. What Pastor Jamie is teaching Like I am loved exactly as I am No matter what I've done Like even with X, Y, and Z That I've got going on in my life But then we went to a Sunday morning service And again the Sunday morning was so different Than what was going on in the young adults Worship was standard CCM Like flowy nonsense But in the middle of this Very like moving worship experience This guest speaker gets up And just starts going off about the, the the passage of this the marriage equality bill um, that was now law and how, like, when he got the news, it just ruined his golf game and it's disgusting and it's legit. Was bitching about how this life-changing thing for LGBT people uh, had ruined his golf game. I'm like, cry about it, man. But so he's just going on this tirade just eviscerating this entire situation and just denigrating anyone who falls under the rainbow and, like, how it's abhorrent and all that. And my pan friend, who is sitting next to me, just burst into tears, and I have to escort her out of the Mm. the sanctuary and reassure her, hey, you are... God loves you exactly as you are, no matter what that dick has to say. And (laughs) she did not come back to services after that, like, young adult or otherwise, because... The hatred of this one man, like, taught her, like, no, I'm not safe here. I am not welcome here, no matter what our pastor, like, our actual pastor says. And that's just, it's shit, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. That makes sense to me. I feel like I wouldn't want to come back either. No. Because it's like, even if there's, like, a bubble of safety that was created in this young adult group. Mm Mm-hmm. It's clearly taking place in a context that is comfortable with that message being shared from the pulpit.
2: Yeah. Well, and in the years since then, it's become, again, I have many grievances with where I used to go to church, but it's always been that sort of place that passes out like RNC literature, like around election time. Like They're not allowed to tell you who to vote for, but here's your voter guide to tell you who to vote for, that sort of thing. I still have friends who are on staff because they're, uh, their parents provide their housing and if they quit, they would lose their jobs and their housing. And it's like, they, they kind of feed me like, here's the latest from w- uh, this camp. And it's always just like, I'm so glad I got out when I did because there's just lots of badness. <laughs> so it's, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find a spot where I can safely be me. And uh, I've actually connected with Mason Menega does a podcast called The The People's Theology with Irreverent uh, the Media Group and he's Based up here in uh, I want to say He's in St. Paul but so I'm like Working on like okay can I Line up my schedule to actually go and check out His church sometime because it's like I need I really miss the Community that comes with being plugged into A church and that's Like just having local people to Do life with and to talk through Things with and while I have found an excellent community online, there's just something about being able to sit with someone over a cup of coffee and be like, okay, this is what's in my brain this week. Does this make sense to you? Sort of nonsense.
1: Piper, what did it look like for you? What what ended up happening that you parted ways with this church?
2: There was lots. <laughs> it got to a point where with all of the serving I was doing between the internship and the uh, staff job I had, even after I graduated in June of that year, it, I just had so much on my plate that I got so burnt out. I think the final straw was, it was very much a, you only matter to us as a person as long as you're useful to the ministry. And it, it was a situation where I had to, again, I was in charge of the ADV, AV department of this satellite campus. And that Christmas... Uh, My grandpa started having some real health issues and I had to bail on a service and go across the state in order to like help support my family in this time. Like I had to watch my brother and the dogs while my mom and dad were like figuring out what's up with grandpa in the hospital across the state because in the small town they live, it wasn't like equipped for whatever was going on with him to support his needs. But in that time, I had also put in like a, hey, I need to step down from this position and so I had put in that, I had to bail on the service And then Grandpa was in the hospital So I was like talking to my leaders like Hey, can I get some prayer, some anything I did not hear back from my leaders So the, the people who were my leaders from when I was in the internship They took like a week to get back to me uh, the, the head pastor who I thought like Hey, we're, we're tight, right? We've been working together for six years now like, he's gotta, like, have something for me, right? Did not hear a response from him until a month later. And it was, like, I acknowledged that, like, hey, I'm leaving now, but that doesn't mean I'm not still, like, a part of things. Like, just because I have to, like, step back and take care of myself and take care of my family and, like, honor that I am a human being and not just a machine who pushes the buttons to make your slides pretty during service. That on top of the burnout, on top of all of the other like church politics drama that goes on in behind the scenes in a mega church it was just kind of the, the final straw the straw that broke the camel's back and i'm like okay well i'm out of here then cuz obviously the the idea that y'all actually care for people is all for show cuz you don't actually care about the hearts of the people who are serving under you and for a lot for a long time for like probably a year or so after that i carried a lot of bitterness about that and it's taken a lot of, like, processing, unpacking to acknowledge, like, hey, they're just people, they're also just doing their best, and they're operating in this system that is built to operate in this specific way. And you, you can't hold that against the, the people in charge, but you can, but also like, you know,
0: <laughs> it's yeah.
2: a whole barrel of monkeys that the, the Cap just needs to stay on it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I think, you know, a, a lot of queer Christians queer people of faith you know that happens the mm-hmm. disillusionment you know to a community one way or another yeah. so like what were ways that you kind of did process and get to the point of like we're all just messes you know and like just yeah what are what are some ways that and I know that's not an easy question or like you know and it's not like oh I figured this out in a week you No, know? well and
2: again it's definitely been a season uh for the longest time i was so again i stopped attending that church in particular in december of 2019 and then the pandemic hit there was a, a lot of shit that went down in the first like quarter of that year too wh- where i was still like okay maybe i'll just stick around and go to the other satellite campus or something but <sighs> the stuff that unfolded kind of like definitely showed the cracks uh and i'm just like okay this isn't worth sticking around to try to salvage like as much as I want to make change and make this better for other people who are coming after me it's like I shouldn't do it at the sacrifice of myself you know I shouldn't yeah. jeopardize my peace and my well-being for that as much as again I'm I'm very much a Enneagram 2 wing 3 where I'm like I feel like I have to be helpful and I need to earn others approval but at the same time that's not all that defines me and again kind of coming back to the heart of you are a person before you are the head of av before you are the the manager of the coffee house before you are like whatever roles or like slashes come after your name whether you're podcaster slash artist slash whatever it's again person first so i had to take a very long time and be like okay what does it look like to just be me and not be me in this role and so i there was a lot of stuff i probably Could have unpacked right away, but it was like, this entire suitcase is garbage. We're just going to shove it in the closet and deal with it later. And so I didn't really process any of my religious faith nonsense for probably the first year of the pandemic. Then, I want to say March of last year, Semler dropped the uh, Preacher's Kid EP, and (laughs) that rocked my shit. Um, So that, that was where I started to begin the process of kind of sifting through... And in that meantime, I had also connected with uh, my my buddy Micah is wise old llama man over on TikTok uh, is a, a preacher out of Georgia, I believe, who posts a lot of like queer theology stuff. And that was kind of my first taste of like, OK, these these contexts can coexist. It's not like mutually ex- exclusive that you can only be a Christian or you can only be queer. Um, kind of that, that blending of the worlds started there uh, with that connection I made and uh, exploring kind of that more progressive theology when I had been in a very like conservative space for the longest kind of helped uh, open those doors. So again, that similar kind of got the ball rolling and then even stronger when uh, Late Bloomer came out last October. Late Bloomer got my attention on the faith thing again. And so I I messaged Micah and was like, okay, do you have any like recommendations of things to listen to? I think right after Preacher's Kid came out, I I sent that message and Micah recommended I listen to uh, Queer Christian Family Values, which uh, was a a queer ministry podcast that I don't think it's airing anymore, but it's uh, by Andrew Cox and Alex Birchnell out of Tennessee somewhere. And they told, they they mentioned the Believer app. And so through the Believer app, I got connected with uh, Jack Bates, who is the other co-host on Lavender Mafia, and that kind of cracked open this whole can of worms of, okay here is all of this podcast material to feast on, and that's how I found you guys and so since, like, October of last year, I've just been kind of (laughs) shoveling all of this into my brain to process Um, and it's been so good and so rejuvenating and, like through that, like, podcasting bubble, or I I don't remember if that came to me through uh, Jack and Jess at Lavender Mafia or if that was just by nature of being in that deconstruction, ex-evangelical Twitter space, but also got connected with Kevin Garcia and Tiny Revolution. Uh, And I'm currently going through this practice cohort that uh, Kevin is leading that's like all about kind of exploring spirituality outside of that church context and building like a, a better practice for yourself. Uh, It's lots of meditation, lots of different paradigm shifting. It's about changing your perspective and working through things through a different lens. And it's been so helpful. (laughs) So it was an intense process. It was not an overnight thing. And again, it's still something that I'm going through and growing through. But this entire shelf behind me uh, that only Gaines and Brendan can see, it's full of different like uh, Kevin's book, Bad Theology Kills, and a, a couple different books by Nadia Bowles-Weber and Sarah Bessie, and uh, if I'm just name-dropping, whatever. Uh, lots of different different queer theology and just kind of deconstruction. Like, this is the, the new smorgasbord to feast from. Like, give yourself a different context to look into, aside from like, here are the, you can only read Kenneth Hagin and uh, John Revere and like, that cluster of doctrine. And it's it's been a whole mindfuck but it's been so nice to like get different perspectives and explore that yeah
1: yeah something that I heard you say Piper in this new context that you found you feel like there is this blissful cohabitation of these two identities and they're not at odds with each other what was that experience like holding these two identities in tension while you were with this other church
2: it was, again, it it felt very inauthentic, which, again, as authentic as you can be hiding a, a core aspect of your being, you know, it's, it was very much like, I had a few people that I felt like I could be 100% me around, but then there were also like, okay, this is my leader, let me put on, this is church pippers versus, there's, so... I grew up listening to like CCM, like Mercy Me and Casting Crowns and all that. And there's a stained glass masquerade is a Casting Crown song that it's like, uh, are we happy plastic people under shiny plastic steeples with walls around our weakness and smiles to hide our pain? (laughs) It's like, okay, this is very much like, hi, I have this plastic face on over like who I actually am, because I'm scared that if I let you see me, that I won't be welcome in this space anymore And I still have some people from that context that are in my life where I have to very actively decide, no, they are going to see the real me and not like the presentation I put on when we were still in that context together. And it's been very interesting to see, like, again, having conversations with my in-laws is an interesting thing to me because it's... I feel like they were kind of that that basis of, okay, I have to prove that I am good enough to be their son's partner, if that makes sense. And my, my husband is a very like genuine and he's the perfect illustration of God's unconditional love. Because again, he met 15 year old disaster Pip and has been with me since 2009 and has seen all of the different phases and evolution as I've been exploring who I actually am and has been so patient and so loving and like, has stuck with me through all of it. Like we're still rocking and I love it. But uh, his sister especially intimidates me. And I've always felt like, okay, I need to prove like, this is a-, a person who's a key part of your life, but why do you feel like you have to hide who you are to them is so weird. Mm-hmm. There have been interactions I've had with his mom where a- again, I, being the <laughs> progressive queer individual I am, I have queer friends and listening to some of the, kind of off-color comments she can kind of make is like, okay, do am I safe to fully present they them pippers to you or like should I put that away and like not acknowledge that? And for the longest time I didn't. And it's just been like recently in the past two years that I've like, okay, this is hi, Please use they them pronouns for me. And like watching that adjustment has been interesting. Like they they try. And it's very much a, okay, I don't understand, but like, I love you. And so I'm going to put forth that effort. And it's so nice to see that my fears for longest time were unjustified. Like I'm very precious about who I am and sharing that with people and learning that, no, you don't have to be afraid to show who you are. You don't have to worry about other people accepting you. You just have to like know that, you're not everyone's cup of tea and that's okay, but like you shouldn't have to fear that like if they don't make the space for you, then you don't have you don't owe them that back, you know? So I have lost quite a bit of people from that era of my life, but the ones who I have kept are like <laughs> I treasure them so dearly because it's like you've seen me this entire time and like you you've known who I am. And you've always been loving and accepting and embracing of that, and it's just refreshing to know that, like, just that there, there, as many people as were unsafe, they have fallen away, and I still have safe people. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Again, it's so. it's been definitely a, a a process of change and like resetting my mindset and resetting my expectations and like just kind of finding home in myself instead of in other people has been probably my biggest challenge.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What have you seen as the impacts of living in that tension for the time that you did both then and now?
2: Yeah. Well, again, it's, uh, kind of a deprogramming. Because, again, when you bend yourself to fit others' expectations for so long and then suddenly you're not doing that anymore, it's, uh, again, if I had a a pen to pull back, and it would just kind of snap you in the face, you know? Acknowledging that I don't have to be malleable has been a little revolutionary in my life. Uh, It's, again, suddenly there is a resistance to what used to bend. And a lot of people don't enjoy that. It's like, hey, why is there sudden pushback when you used to be such a pushover? Uh, it's been an interesting thing. But again, that's part of the pruning, I guess. If if I were to put it in the context of the vine dresser, like there are things that needed to fall off of me in order for me to grow in a healthy way. And whether that's relationships or whether that's old beliefs or... Yeah, it's... Uh, so there's been a, a, a trimming, if that makes sense. Like... There are things that are healthy and will give you life, and then there are things that, like, if you try to put energy into keeping a dead thing alive, like, it's detrimental to your being and to being in general.
0: (laughs) Thanks for, like, sharing all that. I I know our time is, like, kind of wrapping up here. No, yeah, it's been um...
2: a lot of fun, and I'm sorry if it's just all been word vomit, but, again, it's... I've had a lot of these thoughts just kind of in my head, and, again, in... The, the changing of the seasons and whatever i haven't had the i guess outlet to address it with safe people if that tracks like there's i feel yeah. like there's only so much i can dump on the, the people who are in my life i'm like hi i, I promise that I, I value you as a person and don't want to just trauma dump on you but uh this is what i'm dealing with you know sort of thing so yeah again finding a context and community in which i can do so has been just again revolutionary is the only word i have for it
1: yeah Yeah. absolutely
0: we're glad you you're here and get to like be part of our team now and be one of the voices that gets to speak as part of like refuge so we're really excited about
2: well i'm very excited to be here
0: so like i mean the one question we do always ask at the end is like what would you say to the individual who's like still in the closet or feels like they don't have a safe space, whether in a faith community or at home or all that, what's some words of advice you would give to them?
2: Gosh. Uh, if I can quote, uh, the, the legend RuPaul, uh, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? The, the biggest, again, the, the thing I've had to unpack is that you have to know who you are as a person before you can worry about the the implications that it has on the relationships around you. So if you don't know who you are, again, figuring out how to articulate this in a way that makes sense. At the heart, you have to be okay with being you. And that does take a lot of unpacking and a lot of unlearning and a lot of like, okay, what has my context brought me up to think about this aspect of myself and how is that harmful or how is it helpful? Uh, I think evaluating like by those two metrics, is this harmful to me or is this helpful to me? Whether it's an attitude about yourself or about your beliefs or about your sexual or gender identity. It's like, do you feel bound or like, is this freeing to you at the end of the day? You have to live with you Like your closest friend Is yourself and if you're not Comfortable with who you are as a person Maybe like evaluate Okay what makes me feel Like I am not worthy or that I am Unlovable or like why don't I like this about myself what are things I can Change about myself because if it's not something That can be changed like You shouldn't try to force it you know So Mm. Yeah just be you boo you're you're loved exactly as you are (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. that.
0: Yeah, just some things for people to get excited about out there. If you're listening, our website is up. Um, so if you go to refugefaith.org, it's nice and shiny. And um, yeah, you can go, there's links to the podcast there, links to join the discord there. If you would like to donate, please feel free to help like, um, and be that part of our journey and join us on this part of our journey. We would love for you to do that.
2: Money that comes in helps support like, just keeping that website afloat. And we're looking at getting more resources available up there, whether that's like think pieces or whatever. We haven't decided yet. It's, again, yeah. a work in progress, yeah. but you can help make that work happen if you want to donate.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, We'd like to thank Aaron Bailey. He's one of our Patreons. Uh, So thank you, Aaron. Uh, We love you. I think that wraps everything up. Am I forgetting anything?
2: Uh, Just to plug the social medias. uh, We're at Refuge Faith on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok now. Uh, If you hop over to that TikTok is where you'll find me stealing bits uh, out of context of this podcast and uh putting them up there um and yep. maybe expounding upon them again there's another work in progress it's uh establishing okay what 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 sort of content do you guys want to see on the tiktok let us know because we'll like to make it happen uh we also do storytelling nights semi-regularly
0: yeah every other sunday um every other sunday at 7 7 p.m i don't know i'm questioning that I, I do it <laughs> you're the one who schedules <laughs> so, it
2: uh,
0: i know i know so yeah, if, it's auto scheduled i just show up yeah,
2: if you want uh reminders know. of when those are coming up you can again follow us on twitter at refuge faith or come hang out with us on the discord that link is on the website at yeah at refugefaith.org
0: yeah so brendan do you want to like I don't do know, you want to pray us out? <laughs> I yeah, literally we don't thought you were going to ask me to pray <laughs> no, us out. I was not. I, I, was, not. Was, coming. I was like,
1: "This is no. so weird that you're going to ask me to pray. That <laughs> was literally no, what my no. brain
2: was thinking.
1: I'm this like, I guess to I'll, stay I'll
2: stay do it. Uh, this <laughs> needs to absolutely stay in. So yeah, if y'all want to say a little prayer for us, uh, we would appreciate that as well.
0: I <laughs> mean, <laughs> more. normally
1: you just close us
0: out no,
2: it's like, it's
0: true,
1: Yeah, it's funny. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening in. Um, it was so great to have Pip join us, to hear some of their story, to understand a little bit more of the journey that many of us go through as people who kind of hold these different identities that often are have to be held in tension because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, are raised in, however you want to look at it. Um, So we hope that if that is you, that you have found some comfort and some support and hopefully some encouragement in Pip's story today. And thanks for listening.